This is Tush. And I welcome you to Tushalicious Talk, an Oklahoma City podcast for titillating women, tantalizing conversation. And I thank you in advance for allowing me to be your one-stop shop advocacy connection. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Tushalicious Talk. It is another episode of what's going on in Oklahoma County. I am your podcast host, Jackie Lynette. My nickname is Tush, and this is streaming live on the League of Women Voters of Oklahoma County Facebook page because I am the co-president there and I can do that. For today's episode, I welcome Lena Samilton, who is involved with alcohol and drug counseling. She is the behavioral health navigator at Mary Mahoney Community Health Center. That is a mouthful. (laughs) And she was previously an employee at the Oklahoma County Jail, where she was featured on Scared Straight in Oklahoma City. That was about a decade ago. And then we have Megan Taylor, who is the executive director at the Diversion Hub here in Oklahoma City. And then I also have my reoccurring guest, Stephanie Henson, who volunteers with me at the League of Women Voters, where she is the vice president of the State League. So I want to start off by giving my definition of a community which I say is residents, students, taxpayers, legislators, persons with quasi powders from the courtroom to the classroom to the boardroom, all living in one common area with the goal of having a common agreement and sharing values for everyone to live comfortably in that area. So, and then I wanna ask each of you to weigh in on my definition as you introduce yourselves and then speak about what you or your organization does in our community related to my description of a community. (laughs) And we'll start um, with Stephanie. And um, I just, I I love working with Stephanie. I've done lots of community stuff with her. Um, And so, um, you know, we do all live in the same community, but because, you know, her zip code and my zip code differ, Um, We just kind of come together and trying to figure out how to make Oklahoma a better place. So definitely interested in what you feel about um, the definition of a community. And then if you'll tell us more about what's going on with the league on the state side. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much, Jackie. um, Same that the idea of community, um, I have, I don't know. um, I, I found myself as you were talking, thinking about that. Sharon Salzberg. Have any of you guys read Sharon Salzberg or listened to her speak? She's a she's a long, long time, maybe since the 1970s, Zen Buddhist teacher. So in that tradition of mindfulness, and she works with um, Uma Thurman's dad. You know who was it? I she and so I've heard her say before when talking about community. She said, you know, uh, imagine that you're on the subway. <laughs> And all of a sudden the subway breaks down and you're, you know, there on the subway and you're, you know that you have to care for one another in that moment. You know, everybody's maybe kind of scared. How long are we going to be here? How long are we stuck here on the subway? And she said, you look around at everybody that you're there with in that space and in that place and in that moment and you think, these are my people. And if someone is scared, you want to calm them. You know, if somebody is, you want to comfort them. And when you say comfort, it's, yeah. And um, yeah, these are my people. This is here, the folks I'm here with now in this moment and on this subway. And so it can be community, I think, is constantly 
you know, changing in the spaces that we're in and who we're with in that moment. And, mm-hmm. um, and you look around and yeah, what, what do you need? You look at, and you, you're always, I was thinking about you this week, uh, cause you're always on this podcast talking a lot about, uh, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I thought that's a really beautiful thing in community to look around and what do we all need, you know, and in that subway moment, what do we all need here in this space and in this place and in this, in this moment? And I think you always um, do such a beautiful job of, because that's, you know, a lot the come, you know, looking out for one another's comfort and what do we all need to be comfortable and to be well together. <laughs> Thank you. You make me blush. <laughs> <laughs> And then um, we're going to go to Lino Samilton. And I want to say that I had COVID like a couple of months ago and I was super bored, okay? And I was trying to find stuff to watch on TV and somehow I came across Scared Straight. And so the episode that I watched, Lena was on there and the thing that made me reach out to you and ask you to come on the podcast was at the end of the episode, there was a little girl there and you actually went to her house after the program and tried to be involved with her on a one-on-one basis to, you know, let her know you do matter. What happens in your life right now is definitely going to affect you as an adult. And I just appreciate that's what you did because a lot of times I feel like that's the difference in a good community and a bad community is someone actually caring enough to reach out to people who are in need. So if you will tell us about my definition and then also what Mary Mahoney has going on currently. Okay. Um, Well, when I think of the definition of community, I look at the last five letters of it, which is unity. Mm. And so if we... We, if we think about unity. We think of people, regardless of the the class that we're in, regardless of the location that we're in, regardless of the color of our skin, where you still united as one. And so I'm a strong believer of making, uh, like it says, you know, treat thy neighbors as thyself. Mm-hmm. That's how I was raised and that's what I believe. So I try to believe, I believe that unity is treating people the way they should be treated with respect with dignity, with integrity, with love and compassion, regardless of where we come from. Um, so that is what I feel community community means. Um, and as far as Mary Mahoney Community Health Centers of Oklahoma, I want to say there is at least five facilities that they have. And what they um, generalize in is medical, dental. Um, they provide mammograms. They also have our expert, which, are, which is our behavioral health side, where we provide mental health uh, counseling services to those who need it. And we also have at the facility I work at, which is Mary Mahoney, we have a MAP program, which is a medicated assisted treatment program for those who live with substance misuse, specifically opioids. As we know, the opioid ep- epidemic is really high, uh, especially nowadays, you know, with fentanyl and, you know, people who uh, get back surgeries and stuff and unfortunately get addicted to these things. So the MAP program, people come, you know, voluntarily to that and they enroll in it. But aside of that, like I said, they offer so many other um other options that people can have. So it's the, like I said, the medical side and uh, a host of other things. And so I'm actually ecstatic and I enjoy working at Mary Mahoney because again, community, it reaches the community. You know, anybody can, the great thing about it, they all have, they have case managers. So if you don't have insurance, you know, they, they go in and uh, get you insurance if needed. They go by a pay scale. Um, 
and they really help the community, regardless if you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, you know. So, again, community and unity. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm glad that that exists, definitely. Um, And I will say on the other side, um, the Diversion Hub, which um, for anyone that is not in Oklahoma, the Diversion Hub is a place where people go, people who have been involved in the justice system go to kind of get help to reintegrate themselves back into society. So, yeah, if you'll touch on the Diversion Hub and community and tell us what you do there. Yeah, thank you so much. So um, I think with community, you know, this world is so big. Um, I think people are constantly looking to their neighbors um, to be able to feel a part of something. Um, And I think it's important to make sure that we incorporate the diversity, the diversity not only in skin color, socioeconomic, but the different perspectives all make us stronger. And so um, I think what is so essential about community is being able to take a step back and understand that if something doesn't directly impact you, um, it is still something that is worth your time. Because if we can make sure to help our community, we will eventually be stronger as a whole unit. And so at the Diversion Hub, um, community is at the forefront. So we help those that have been impacted by the criminal legal system in Oklahoma City. We work with the district court, municipal, um, and the federal system Our goal is to be um, low barrier, meaning that people that need access to our services do not have to jump through um, hoops to get to us. So we increase access to services that help people um, gain stability and self-sufficiency. But we also make sure that we're working with the community agencies that are already doing great work. So we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. We're really trying to increase access to those groups. Um, Community Health Center, you're, I mean, we refer folks to you guys every day because you guys do amazing work in the community. Mm-hmm. Our expertise um, really lies with navigating the criminal justice system. And so we're heavily integrated into the courts and to um, working with all of the key stakeholders, trying to build a more equitable and more efficient system. Um, and so that starts with focusing on those that are most impacted. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So personally, I noticed that within the black community, um, because of the disparities that we have, it's more likely to happen to um, younger black men, but they get sentenced as an adult. And then you have them going to prison, to adult prison at 16, 17, 18, and then even 19 and 20. Um, And then they get out like in their late 20s or early 30s or, you know, sometimes even longer than that, unfortunately. And it's extremely prevalent that um, they have been mentally impacted by incarceration. And a lot of times it feels like to me, nobody really talks about it. It seems like nobody pretty much cares about this. And then all of a sudden, everyone hears that the federal Department of Justice is looking into Oklahoma. This is back in November. Um, And the end of investigation um, was about how Oklahoma responds to the mental health crisis. And so um, as far as what your organization is um, and even the league, um, do you believe that this investigation is was substantiated? And then what are you or your organization doing to help Oklahomans like those I just described or just in general to take us off the DOJ's radar? 
I know it's a full question. I'm sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Um, do you want me to start? Yeah, okay. sure. Uh, so I wasn't necessarily shocked when um, DOJ started their investigation into kind of the lack of mental health and substance use support mm-hmm. in Oklahoma. Um Specifically for us at Diversion Hub, we're constantly working with the clients and focusing on what their needs are as reported directly from them. Mm -hmm. And so I think the court system, um, they tend to not necessarily have a good understanding of what the needs are of the individuals that are coming across their dockets and um, the lack of community support system. So a lot of times we'll see, okay, well, we'll let them out of jail if they have a house. That's really hard. We work with some amazing agencies. We work with City Care and Homeless Alliance. They're they're officed um, with us full time and we are focusing on housing, but it's just not something that happens overnight. And so the same with mental health and substance use. Well, they need to go inpatient or we're not releasing them. And I think that's a fatal flaw in our system because we're keeping someone that is not a risk to public safety behind bars in a, quite frankly, a a bad situation, not a, a healthy environment for them. And we are expecting them to get access to something that majority of the folks that are out in the community are desperately in need of, but aren't able to get access to. Mm-hmm. So... My hope is that through this investigation, we focus less on inpatient and more on outpatient and making sure that we have more accessibility to those services without forcing the idea of everyone needs to be locked up and inpatient. Um, I think individualized outpatient um, makes more sense. It's community focused and it also allows for people to stay integrated into the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of different issues when it comes to the lack of mental health and substance use. Um, but from our perspective, just making sure that people aren't sitting behind bars, mm-hmm. um, waiting for their ability to be able to be seen by a mental health professional, and making sure that the folks that are in the criminal legal system are understanding the lack of community resources towards that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And thinking outside the box, yeah. you know, not everyone needs inpatient. So right. So um, I know that you know people that are in the Oklahoma County Jail, and like you said, they're a, a, a judge <laughs> is less likely to let them go unless they can get in inpatient. But just even in my league role, I know that there is a lack of beds in inpatient. So what? How does uh, besides advocating for outpatient? like real time right now, how is Diversion Hub advocating for a person that's in that situation? Yeah. So we're working with the attorneys, we're working with the judges, and we're working with the clients. So if someone is in custody and perhaps they were a D-Hub client and and they're back in custody, we're working and coordinating with a treatment facility or coordinating with their attorney to advocate and present something to the judge that's meaningful, um, such as, you know, a housing option or a treatment option and, you know, being persistent. That's really what it takes is just making sure you're focused on um, 
on that advocacy. Mm-hmm. Do you know if there are any plans um, of building more facilities um, to help get more inpatient beds? I know that um, that Griffin has uh, received funding to build um, more space for additional beds, mm-hmm. and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think there are a lot of people that don't rise to the level of needing inpatient. Mm-hmm. Um, I always try to focus on letting the mental health and substance use professionals dictate the need of inpatient. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not the place for judges and lawyers to to think someone to needs that. Yeah. 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 So um, there are efforts to increase the amount of beds and that's wonderful. But I think just continuing to increase the amount of individualized outpatient options too. Um, And addressing the barriers that people have to access those services. Um, If you get out of jail and you've been in a horrible environment and um, you get released at 2 a.m., it's really hard for you to make it across town, get to a treatment facility, and then wait for six hours for intake. And so making sure we're addressing those issues with accessibility. Yeah, I just want to say real quick that uh, the Oklahoma City Police Department has a forum on Tuesday um, addressing homelessness and the Homeless Alliance is involved in that. So definitely plan on going to that. Um, But yeah, um, on the league side, uh, what do you think about the investigation from the feds and, you know, how what are we doing on the league side to try to help uh, mental health and mental illness and in, in the criminal justice system? Well, I'm, I've been so, um, as you know, the, for the last two years, I don't know if you all know, but the league has been uh, and we're just wrapping up a criminal justice reform study after two years. The league going all the way back to state question 805, which was about uh, the sentence enhancements and trying to end sentence enhancements for uh, nonviolent offenders, which it didn't end up passing. But it was it was this journey. The league has been really on a journey of understanding because what happened when when we all came together and I would try to say to folks too, um, you know, the league being a nonpartisan organization, we don't advocate for or against any political candidate or any political party, but we can advocate and take positions on policy. And so after we had done a state question forum for state question 805, uh, we all come together and we said, gee whiz, do we have within our current policies enough information to advocate either for or against it? Well, when we all came together and started talking, we ended up remaining neutral as a league on 805 because we couldn't come get a consensus. You know, we didn't have consensus. It was very divided. It was like 50-50. What we realized after that discussion was how little so many of us knew about our criminal legal system in Oklahoma. I, di- I didn't know what a sentence enhancement was before State Question 805 and before that discussion. So that's now been over two years ago. And and what I've said to a lot of folks within the league and without as I talk about this is for me personally, this has been a long journey of um, this, uh, I've said a steep learning curve of Oklahoma's criminal legal system, a steep learning curve. And much of that has been unlearning everything I ever thought I knew about the criminal legal system. So, and I think the need for uh, greater awareness and understanding, I think I'm, I don't think I'm an anomaly is I guess what I'm trying to say. So the idea that the DOJ would be coming in and say, I think we need more people uh, 
learning about what Oklahoma's system is. I just think that I think there were so many people like me who just had no idea of the harms of our system. And I know that as a league, we recognize that, which is why we've done this two-year study. We all now, I mean, it's amazing the work that the League of Women Voters has done in putting together this study. And now we're at a point now that we we always say when we know better, we do better. We'd had, as a matter of fact, we immediately started, even before we started the study, Jackie and I in the state league came together and did... Um, several forums that included Lee Rowland was one of them. I remember he was the one who said, when we know better, we do, you know, we kept saying, when we know better, we do better. So we've just been, we've been trying so hard to learn and to understand. So I'm grateful. One of the things, by the way, and I'd like to say it here that I'm personally advocating for, because you guys know I went and got my, um, DOC volunteer badge. And I've been uh, doing a book discussion group at Mabel Bassett. I'm, that's what, through the Oklahoma Humanities Council. It's called Let's Talk About It, Oklahoma. That program had been ubiquitous in our um, correctional facilities before COVID. Uh, there's, it's a grant program and it's available. And I know the women at Mabel Bassett and myself, we all say, uh, one, one of our, my friends at, at the book club said, this is a game changer. These kinds of book, these kinds of programs are, it, it's a game changer to have that. And, and, uh, so I'm advocating for one of the things I personally am advocating for is more people to get the, their DOC. You know, there's a lot of folks who, there's so many good Oklahomans who are wanting to, you know, so folks who are just wanting to make a difference and volunteer and amazing program. So I would say all, I think all of our organizations here need volunteers. So at the same time that the DOJ is investigating, I think for individual Oklahomans to go get your volunteer badges, sign up with Diversion Hub, go come sign up with the League of Women Voters, come to, out to Mary Mahoney, there's volunteers needed. And I'm a hundred percent a believer in Better policy, and remember Nicole McAfee said this, she was with the ACLU at the time and she came onto our program uh, when we were doing our forums to better understand criminal justice. And she said, bad policies, bad legislation exists when there's a lack of proximity between the people who are making the laws and the people who are most harmed or most affected by the laws and the legislation. So that needs to change. And it changes by get proximate, get proximate, get proximate, Uh, volunteer, volunteer, volunteer with all of these organizations. So again, yeah, just to answer your question, I'm grateful that there's, uh, the DOJ is investigating and I think we all individually need to get out there and investigate and get proximate, get proximate, get proximate. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I um, wrote part of the study that we did for um, the League of Women Voters and my portion was on discrimination within Oklahoma's system. And I mean, they, it, it was a lot, but... Um, I, I wrote one part on there that the league and we have not voted on this yet, but this is what my suggestion was, is that the league fully accepts the definition in the DSM five um, for substance abuse and alcohol abuse, that it is definitely a mental disorder and should be treated as such. So I'm very interested in your opinion of this um, DLJ investigation and what you have to say about uh, the, the legal definition as well. Well, uh, first of all, I do appreciate the investigation that the DOJ has done on the criminal system in Oklahoma. There has been plenty of reforms, like you talked about, that they have, uh, well, I won't say passed, but they have tried to introduce into legislator, uh, legislation. And I think um, not passing the law that you was talking about was really a downfall for a lot of people who are, you know, institutionalized or whatnot. Um, and what I feel that 
as far as mental health is concerned, what people need to understand is you can have a comorbidity, so a dual diagnosis. You can have mental health and then you can have a substance abuse. Mm-hmm. From a lot of the clients that I've worked with and then being in the criminal justice system when I was in it, I noticed that there was more mental health that led to the substance abuse. Right. Okay. So you talk about adverse childhood experiences and you talk a lot about um, Maslow's hierarchy. Um, Some of these, a lot, I won't say some, a lot of the clients in the population didn't have needs met. A lot of them had um, sexual abuse, domestic abuse going on in the home. A lot of them was in the foster care. And, you know, it's just a lot of elements and factors that added to that. So if if, if these people have not been treated properly for their mental health, then the best, the the only thing they know to do, somebody introduces them to a substance. And that's how a lot of people get addicted to a substance because they introduce them, somebody introduced them or they experiment it. And we know the number one drug that they experiment first is marijuana, mm-hmm. you know, and so that it leads up to other substances um, because your body then starts to regulate and then I could go on and on about that, but, you know, it starts getting used to the substances that you're putting in your body and you're replacing your natural, your natural um, dopamine with, you know, the reward system and stuff with the substances. So, uh, again, I am a big fan and advocate for Oklahoma. Um, They have implemented new programs such as, you know, you can call, what is it, 988 now? We have the mobile crisis units for those who are having crises. And I seen Oklahoma County last night were doing training for their their officers and their deputies for mental health. So I I think I just I thank God <laughs> that they are looking into, you know, uh, mental health and substance abuse because again, it is big. And then we do need I agree with you, we do need to have more facilities for those who don't need to be incarcerated. Um, And I think about the homeless population a lot because you have a lot of veterans who, you know, were in war and, you know, they seen death and dying all day. And then you come back to an environment, you you have to uh, transition and it's like, whoa, wait a minute, you know? And so they didn't get the help they need, you know, or you have a mom who's been dealing with domestic abuse all her life. And now she's, you know, taking on a whole new role, but she didn't get treated, you know? So I just feel that I, I am really glad that Oklahoma is taking on a different outlook to mental health and substance abuse. And I think it's just I hopefully further down the line, you know, people will start seeking those services, too. And that's another thing, you know, the stigma behind mental health and substance abuse. Oh, I'm not crazy. Oh, you know, the words that for it. So I try to teach a lot of my clients to pers- uh, first person language, you know, no, you're not addicted. You're struggling with a substance, uh, a, a substance abuse or misuse. No, you, yeah, you might have some mental health, but you, a person is living with bipolar symptoms or you're a person that's living with depression. And so I try to educate them and, 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 and train them on the, um, signs and symptoms and coping skills and mindfulness and, you know, and meditation, because when you are able to get down on their level and break it down to them in a way that they understand, um, I found that a lot of people, it's like that light bulb syndrome, like, oh, I didn't think of it like that, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think, again, if we can get more people that are licensed social workers, licensed counselors, licensed alcohol and drug counselors, and then even 
integrate them into the criminal justice system with programs as such as what you talked about, you know, we're going to help people. Again, I don't also feel like one thing I never really liked was um, when they do incarcerate a person for, now they might have a small offense, a drug offense, but is that really giving them 25 years, you know? Is that really giving them 30 years? You really got to give them that t- that long of a time, you know? And there were some judges um, a few years ago who, you know, they have that, have that power thing, you know, and it's my, my courtroom and this is what you're getting. But then again, you like you said earlier, you take the young African men. We know Oklahoma, first of all, let me say this, Oklahoma is still rated number one in the nation for uh, institutionalizing a lot of uh, criminals. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, those with felons. Second of all, is uh, number one for institutionalizing African-American people. And you see that because, okay, for instance, we have the drug court program, which is good. I'm not knocking drug court. I, I have a lot of clients that go through that. But what I'm noticing is our black African-American and women aren't getting the same options as our other counterparts. Mm-hmm. And then, Megan, you talked on uh, the housing Okay, so how are we going to let people, my thing has always been, how are we going to release somebody? But in the state of Oklahoma, you can't live a thousand feet within a home if you have certain um, charges or then you can't live in certain places because they're going to look at your background Mm -hmm. and see that you might have a misdemeanor, a low grade felony. And no, we're just going to mark you off. And jobs is another barrier for these people. for those that have felons and you do have a lot of nonprofit agencies and agencies in Oklahoma do that have job fairs and try to, you know, um, hire those. But again, I might be the, the outsider here, but they're hiring who look like them. Yeah. You know, and I see that a lot too. And so it's like, okay, danged if I do, Danged if I don't, yeah. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so again, um, back to the the young black men. They, you know, there was I know a young man. He's probably in his early twenties now, but he was arrested for mine. Well, he was arrested for drug charges, and then he was also arrested for a gun. However, his background. His mental health, when he went from a home where mom was doing everything, taking care of the family good until she got introduced to some drugs. And then mom started, you know, being abusive or whatever the case may be. And he started having to be on his own and help raise his siblings. Well, anyway, he got in trouble. Judge handed him 25 years. Mm -hmm. At that time, he was 17. Mm -hmm. And he had a little baby on the way. So that's that. His son is going to be 25 by the time he get out. Now, do I think we could have did something different? Definitely. 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 (laughs) Yeah, I think, yeah, I I do say a lot. We do still have to acknowledge the racism within the system. As much as a lot of people do not want to admit that it exists, there are clear disparities when you look at the numbers. Um, So we only have a couple of minutes left. Um, So I want to read something that I got from uh, BrennanCenter.org, and I will have the... Uh, I'll put the link in the comments, Um, but it says the price of imprisonment extends far beyond the money spent by states and federal government. Mass incarceration exacerbates poverty and inequality, holding back millions of men and women. People who have interacted with the justice system, a disproportionate number of whom are racial and ethnic minorities, face discrimination in the hiring process, earn lower wages, 
have weaker social networks and experience less upward economic mobility than those who are never incarcerated. And they aren't the only ones to shoulder those burdens. Their families and communities suffer as well. And the effect reverberates across generations. And I encourage everyone to read that article. There's a lot of other links there. But what I want is for us to focus on how it's incarceration doesn't only affect the person that it's incarcerated. It affects the whole community. And that's why I started out with the definition of community. Um, And if we can end with um, just shedding a light on why people should care about reducing those disparities and also reducing the incarceration rate in Oklahoma. And then um, while you're closing out, if you'll, you know, you're welcome to say your website and so forth and, and refer people to your organization, please. Yeah. So I think acknowledging the disparity is paramount to us addressing the issues we have. Um, Crimes that are being committed perhaps in two different zip codes and one is being overly policed and folks are generations of families are being incarcerated. Um, Generations of families are being pushed further into poverty based on not only some of not only the incarceration, but the ancillary pieces of it. So the the fees and fines, um, I think a lot of people in the community have no idea the level of fees and fines that you're looking at um, when you've been involved in the criminal legal system. And so making sure that we're understanding that those that are in the system are not bad people. Mm-hmm. We have to stop focusing on calling people criminals, offenders, perpetrators, Um, We have to focus on not um, saying that we only want to help people that are convicted or charged with nonviolent felonies. We need to help everybody. Um, I was talking, we were talking before about at Diversion Hub, we help anyone that is involved with the system. So when you come in, we don't call you a defendant or an offender. Uh, We don't ask what you were convicted of. Um, All that we care is that you're showing up um, to get help. And so I think the community needs to take a step back and focus on helping everybody, not just those that they personally believe are entitled to the help um, and acknowledging like racism and the, the disparities in the system. It, it, it's absolutely present. It's prevalent. It's um, it needs to be something that people don't feel like um, they are being attacked when we're talking about the, the real the yes. real issues. Yes. It's not, it, it's a problem that we all need to address and mm-hmm. fix. Um, so yeah, uh, definitely come see us at Diversion Hub. Um, we want to help people that have been impacted by the system. We want to work with great agencies um, and we care about the community and we care about making it a, a safer, more equitable place for everybody. How so, do they contact you? Um Reach out to um, us on our website, reach out directly to me, um, Megan Taylor, and uh, or give us a call. I can maybe share the information directly with you. Yeah, I'll put it in okay the link. Is it diversionhub.com or yep. .org? Okay, diversionhub.org. .org. Okay. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, and Stephanie? 
Let's see you bringing you. You got your book out. Well, oh yeah. <laughs> well, you know what I was thinking. I wanted to mainly start too by saying thank you to because uh, to both of you because the even coming on the podcast today, I just recognize and maybe it's because you know, but but the leagues work in in reaching out and thank you, Jackie, to, for always bringing folks on because we're just this learning curve that we're on. It's so helpful. And even like, for example, when you mentioned the fines and fees and you said that a lot of people don't know, for sure within the league, that's been one of those things that we didn't know to, over two years ago when we first started this study, but we all know now. And it's because you guys are getting out there and you're sharing and because Jackie, thank you for inviting folks to help inform us because you guys are making those kinds of things known. And for example, the advocates and the leagues, we're advocates in when we know better and do better, you know, the idea that we've connected with Oklahomans for criminal justice reform and the idea that the legislators were hearing and the idea that this is a bipartisan work and everybody was coming together. The idea that we did get that legislation passed and fines and fees are no longer being applied to our youth. You know, youth fines and fees are not a thing anymore because of the work that you guys are doing. And that's a amazing. That's like so much reason to celebrate. And so I just wanted to say, and I did have a quote I wanted to say because Jackie and I love, we are big readers. So like we believe in the bibliotherapy, that all the good cognitive behavioral therapy. And so Jackie and I've read, and one of our favorites is Elizabeth Lesser and from Broken Open. And I'm reading a new book by her now called Marrow. And this makes me think, I wanted to just give, tip my hat to you guys, because this is a quote that I read and it made me think, oh, this is like the work that Mary Mahoney, and this is like the work that D Diversion Hub does. And she's talking about, um, so how do you best help, Elizabeth Lesser says in Marrow on page 182. So how do you best help? First, get in touch with your own Marrow. Your, get in touch with your own Marrow, the deepest, truest part of yourself. Sit in the still dignity of your authentic self. Fill your whole being with the light of who you are and then just show up with the gift of your most authentic, unadorned, unafraid self. Because when one person it is, is at home in her own skin, she can help the other person be less anxious too. Don't be the strong one helping the weak. Don't be the fortunate one helping the victim. Give from your strength to her strength, strength to strength. And that's what you guys do. I love that. I love that. <laughs> yes. And then last but certainly not least, yes, if you will, um, you know, let us know what um, your your opinion on how, and I, it seems like you've kind of already answered the question, but how such a large number of people being incarcerated in a community affects the rest of the people in the community. And then um, you can, you're more than welcome to give out Mary Mahoney's information and website and so forth and let us know how people can contact them if they need their services. Okay. Um, I think a family first because we're taking parents away from children. We're taking, you know, that that's just it. We're taking the, the stronghold of some people's families away from them. We're taking fathers from their kids. We're taking mothers from their kids. And we've been taking kids from parents, yeah. you know, and that in itself is mental health. You know, uh, you have to think about the the socialization of it, too. They only get to see them however often. And you have some who don't even get visits, you know. Um, so I, when I think of that, I think of how it is breaking our family structures. And so when kids don't have parents or that role model, they seem sometimes to 
what's it, you know, become products of their environment. And so the cycle continues over and over. Um, and yeah, you're right. I did touch on a lot of it and, you know, I kind of, it flows so, so <laughs> honestly, but, um, and I just want to answer this one question that you did ask. And you was like, what did I witness firsthand as, you know, being someone that worked in Oklahoma County Jail as a deputy? Um, I always told the officers, sometimes it's not the people, it's you. Mm. And a lot of them will look at me like, what you mean? I'm, the only difference between this person and you is they ain't got couch yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so then again, it goes where you treat people with respect. Mm-hmm. I don't care what crime they committed. We're not their judge. We're not the ultimate judge. Let me put it that way. Yeah. So you still treat people with respect. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think sometimes, you know, a lot of officers um, lose the respect from those who are incarcerated because they try to treat them less than a person. Yeah, like they're judge, jury, and executioner. Exactly. And now you see it now, you have a lot of officers who done became inmates. I did not know that. (laughs) You know, because they're being judge, jury, and executioner. A lot of people, you know, when, and, and at one point in time, I could even say for myself, when you get that uniform, you get that badge, it's like, oh, you know, it's a, it, you get, you're dealing with a power struggle sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So they really have to be in law enforcement, check themselves. And I had to do that myself. And I, I, I was sitting there saying, you know, I wouldn't treat a dog like that. Mm. And I wouldn't because you're going to go to 7-Eleven. <laughs> you're going to go to your local Walmart. People do not remember. Do People do not forget a face. That's right. There's so many inmates to this day that I see. Well, you know, I hate to use the word inmates too, but so people that I see that was incarcerated and they tell me, you know, Miss Samilton, if it had not been for you, you know, you encouraged me, you helped me, you respected me. And to this day, I have one that I kind of mentor and shout a uh, mentor and I keep in contact with her. And she's always like, you, you really, you're real. You know, so it's those type of things that I think sometimes being in law enforcement that people forget, like you got to really treat people with respect and dignity. Definitely. And it goes a long way, even in our criminal justice system Definitely. and dealing with mental health. as Yeah, well. I was thinking it's not even it's not just the people at the jail. I think sometimes it's the judges, the DAs, mm-hmm. the lawyers, the you know, the people with these quasi powders, they that DHS and so forth. They they do. They get this they get on this power trip and unfortunately affects other people negatively. But we are over time. The last thing that I want to say is also on Tuesday during the daytime, the Together Oklahoma Day of Action is happening at the Capitol and it starts at 9 a.m. You can register at 2023-TOKDayofAction.Eventbrite.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Bye. Tushalicious Talk is part of the Breaking Ice, Building Bridges community podcast platform brought to you by Possibilities, Inc.